Preface and Chapter One of Camping in the Canadian Rockies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Camping in the Canadian Rockies by Walter Wilcox. Preface. The Canadian Rocky Mountains offer exceptional attractions to those who enjoy natural scenery, sport, and camp life. Few regions of the world combining mountain, lake, and forest scenery possess the additional advantage of a delightful summer climate such as obtains in the Canadian Rockies. The extremely wild character of this part of the Rocky Mountains, and the very short time since it was opened up to travelers, are probably in great part the reasons for the lack of literature and the absence of any thoroughly illustrated publication concerning this region during a period of four years the author has made camping excursions into many of the wilder parts of the mountains and effected a considerable number of ascents an excellent camera has been an almost inseparable companion in every excursion so that photographs of the typical scenery have been obtained from every possible point of view moreover throughout all the processes of photographing no expense of time or labor has been spared in order to obtain true and artistic representations of nature nor have these results been obtained without considerable sacrifice for in many cases the proper light effects on lakes and forests required hours of delay and frequently on lofty mountain summits high winds made it necessary to anchor the camera with stones while the cold and exposure of those high altitudes made the circumstances unfavorable for successful work a map is not included in the volume as owing to the wilderness of the country there are no detailed maps covering this region that are entirely satisfactory the best map and in fact the only one available is published by dr dawson's preliminary report on this part of the rocky mountains the author makes grateful acknowledgment to the assistance received from many friends in the preparation of this book special thanks are due to professor j h gore of columbian university and to the honorable charles d walcott director of the united states geological survey for the valuable aid and information given by them to monsieur guillaume lamotte for an interesting letter concerning the first exploration of the fraser river and to sir william van horn for the many courtesies extended w d w washington d c july eighteen ninety six chapter one the principal resort of tourists and sportsmen in the rocky mountains of canada is banff the location of the town or village of banff might be briefly described as being just within the easternmost range of the rocky mountains about one hundred and fifty miles north of the international boundary or where the canadian pacific railway begins to pierce the complex system of mountains which continue from this point westward to the pacific coast banff is likewise the central or focal point of the canadian national park there is so much of scenic interest and natural beauty in the surrounding mountains and valleys that an area of some two hundred and sixty square miles has been reserved in this region by the government and laid out with fine roads and bridle paths to points of special interest order is enforced by a body of men known as the northwest mounted police 
a detachment of which is stationed at banff this organization has been wonderfully effective for many years past in preserving the authority of the laws throughout the vast extent of northwestern canada by means of a number of men that seems altogether insufficient for that purpose the small and scattered village of banff occupies a flat plain near the bow river this large stream the south branch of the saskatchewan one of the greatest rivers of north america is at this point not only deep and swift but fully one hundred yards in width a fine iron bridge spans the river and leads to the various hotels all of which are south of the village the permanent population numbers some half thousand while the various stores dwellings and churches have a general air of neatness and by their new appearance suggest the fact that the history of banff extends back only one decade during the summer season the permanent population of banff is sometimes nearly doubled by a great invasion of tourists and travelers from far distant regions overland tourists from india china ceylon and england the various countries of europe and the dominion of canada but chiefly from the united states form the greater part of this cosmopolitan assemblage in which however almost every part of the globe is occasionally represented some are bent on sport with rod or gun others on mountaineering or camping expeditions but the great majority are en route to distant countries and make banff a stopping place for a short period arrived at banff the traveller is confronted by a line of hack drivers and hotel employees shouting in loud voices the names and praises of their various hotels such sights and sounds are a blessed relief to the tourist who for several days has witnessed nothing but the boundless plains and scanty population of northwestern canada the chorus of rival voices seems almost a welcome back to civilization and reminds one in a mild degree of some railroad station in a great metropolis on the contrary the new arrival finds as he is whirled rapidly toward his hotel in the coach that he is in a mere country village surrounded on all sides by high mountains with here and there patches of perpetual snow near their lofty summits though the surrounding region the adjacent mountains and valleys represent nature in a wild and almost primitive state one may remain at banff attended by all the comforts of civilization the several hotels occupy more or less scattered points in the valley south from the village the one built and managed by the railroad stands apart from the village on an eminence overlooking the bow river it is a magnificent structure capable of accommodating a large number of guests from the verandas and porches one may obtain a fine panoramic view of the surrounding mountains and on the side towards the river the view combines water forest and mountain scenery in a most pleasing manner the bow river some three hundred feet below comes in from the left and dashes in a snowy cascade through a rocky gorge then sweeping away towards the east is joined by the spray river a mad mountain torrent deep and swift but clear as crystal and with cold water of that deep blue color indicating its mountain origin the wonderful rapidity with which these mountain streams flow is a source of astonishment and wonder to those familiar only with the sluggish rivers of lowland regions standing on the little iron bridge which carries the road across the stream and looking down on the water i have often imagined i was at the stern of an ocean greyhound so rapidly does each ripple 
or inequality sweep under and away from the eye though the water is less than a yard in depth the current moves under the bridge at the rate of from nine to ten miles an hour the best point from which to get a good general idea of the topography of banff and its surroundings is from the summit of a little hill known as tunnel mountain it is centrally located in the wide valley of the bow above which it rises exactly one thousand feet an altitude great enough to make it appear a high mountain were it not dwarfed by its mighty neighbors the view from the summit is not of exceeding grandeur but is well worth the labor of the climb especially as a good path with occasional seats for the weary makes the walk an easy one the top of the mountain is still far below the tree line though the earth is too thin to nourish a rich forest the soil was all carried away in the ice age for there are abundant proofs that this mountain was once flooded by a glacier coming down the bow valley the bare limestone of the summit is grooved in great channels pointing straight up the bow valley in some places scratches made by the ice are visible and there are many quartz boulders strewed about which have been carried there from some distant region the meandering course of the bow river the village the hay meadows and grassy swamps all form a pretty picture in the flat valley below the eastern face of tunnel mountain is well-nigh perpendicular the trail leads along near the summit and allows thrilling views down the sheer precipice to the flat valley of the bow river far below the trees and prominent objects of the landscape seem like toys and the adjacent plains resemble the colored map there are no houses or dwellings in view on this side but a drove of horses grazing contentedly in a pasture near the river awaiting their turn to be sent out into the mountains in the pack train of some sportsman or mountaineer gives life and animation to the scene on either side are two high mountains conspicuous by their unusual outlines and great altitude the one to the south is rundle mountain it rises in a great curving slope on its west side and terminates in a rugged escarpment with precipitous cliffs to the east which tower in wonderful grandeur more than five thousand feet above the flood plains of the bow river near its base on the opposite side is cascade mountain which is remarkable in being of almost identical height and is in fact just two feet lower as determined by the topographical survey the name of this mountain was given by reason of a large stream which falls from ledge to ledge down the cliffs of its eastern face in a beautiful cascade both this and the rundle mountain are composed of the old devonian and carboniferous limestones the strata of which are plainly visible the structure is that of a great arch or anticline which has been completely overturned so that the older beds are above the newer several miles towards the east the end of devil's lake may be seen appearing through a notch in the mountains a fine road nine miles in length has been made to this lake and is one of the most popular drives in the vicinity of banff the lake is very long and narrow about nine miles in length by three-fourths of a mile in extreme breadth the scenery is grand but rather desolate as the bare mountain walls on either side of the lake are not relieved by force or abundant vegetation of any kind the lake is however a great resort for sportsmen as it abounds in large trout of which one taken last year weighed thirty-four pounds 
the name of the lake gives illustration of the tendency among savages and civilized people to dedicate prominent objects of nature to the infernal regions or the master spirit thereof there is no apparent limit to the number of places named after the devil and his realm while the names suggested by more congenial places are conspicuous by their absence the original name lake peachy was given by sir george simpson in honor of his guide the scattered threads of history which relate to this part of the rocky mountains are suggested by these names and indeed this lake has an unusual interest for this reason in a region where explorations have been very few and far between and where only the vague traditions of warlike events among the indians form a great part of the history each fragment and detail set forth by the old explorers acquires an increased interest previous to the arrival of the railroad surveyors the chief men on whom our attention centers are sir george simpson mr rundle and dr hector the expedition of sir george simpson possesses much of interest in every way he claims to have been the first man to accomplish an overland journey around the world from east to west after having traversed the greater part of the continent of north america he entered the stupendous gates of the rocky mountains in the autumn of eighteen forty one he travelled with wonderful rapidity and was wont to cover from twenty to sixty miles a day according to the nature of the country his outfit consisted of a large band of horses about forty-five in number attended by cooks and packers sufficient for the needs of this great expedition nevertheless the long cavalcade of animals when spread out in indian file along the narrow trails were difficult to manage and it not infrequently happened that on reaching camp several horses proved to be missing a fact which would necessitate some of the men returning fifteen or twenty miles in search of them passing to the south of devil's head a remarkable and conspicuous mountain which may be recognized far out in the plains sir george simpson entered the valley occupied by the lake in this part of his journey he was guided by a half-breed indian named peachy a chief of the mountain crees peachy lived with his wife and family on the borders of this lake and simpson named it after him a name however which never gained currency dr dawson transferred the name to a high mountain south of the lake and substituted the indian name minnewanka or in english devil's lake the guide peachy seems to have possessed much influence among his fellows and whenever as was often the case the indians gathered around their campfires and gossiped about their adventures peachy was listened to with the closest attention on the part of all nothing more delights the indians than to indulge their passion for idle talk when assembled together especially when under the soothing and peaceful influence of tobacco a fact that seems strange indeed to those who see them only among strangers where they are wont to be remarkably silent a circumstance of indian history connected with the east end of the lake is mentioned by sir george simpson and admirably illustrates the nature of savage warfare a cree and his wife a short time previously had been tracked and pursued by five indians of a hostile tribe into the mountains to a point near the lake at length they were espied and attacked by their pursuers terrified by the fear of almost certain death the cree advised his wife to submit without defending herself she however was possessed of a more courageous spirit 
and replied that as they were young and had but one life to lose they had better put forth every effort in self-defense accordingly she raised her rifle and brought down the foremost warrior with a well-aimed shot her husband was now impelled by desperation and shame to join the contest and mortally wounded two of the advancing foe with arrows there were now but two on each side the fourth warrior had however by this time reached the cree's wife and with upraised tomahawk was on the point of cleaving her head when his foot caught in some inequality of the ground and he fell prostrate with lightning stroke the undaunted woman buried her dagger in his side dismayed by this unexpected slaughter of his companions the fifth indian took to flight after wounding the cree in his arm rundle mountain which has been already mentioned and which forms one of the most striking mountains in the vicinity of banff is named after wesleyan missionary who for many years carried on his pious labors among the indians in the vicinity of edmonton mr rundle once visited this region and remained camped for a considerable time near the base of cascade mountain probably shortly after sir george simpson explored this region the work of mr rundle among the indians appears to have been highly successful if one may judge by the present condition of the stonies who are honest truthful and but little given to the vices of civilization even to this day the visitor may see them at banff dressed in partly civilized partly savage attire or on rare occasions decked out in all the feathers and beaded shells and moccasins that go to make up the sum total of savage splendor our attention comes at last to dr hector who was connected with the palliser expedition it is exceedingly unfortunate that the blue book in which the vast amount of useful information and interesting adventure connected with this expedition is so clearly set forth should be now almost out of print there are no available copies in the united states or canada and but very few otherwise accessible dr hector followed up the bow river and passed the region now occupied by banff in the year eighteen fifty eight he was accompanied by the persevering and ever popular botanist Brugot. under the magic spell of close observation and clear description the most commonplace affairs assume an unusual interest in all of dr hector's reports it is very evident that game was much more abundant in those early days than at present for instance dr hector's men shot two mountain sheep near the falls of the bow river which are but a few minutes walk from the hotel likewise when making a partial ascent of the cascade mountain dr hector came on a large herd of these noble animals concerning which so many fabulous tales of their daring leaps down awful precipices have been told he also mentions an interesting fact about the death of a mountain goat an indian had shot a goat when far up on the slope of the cascade mountain but the animal though badly wounded managed to work its way around to some inaccessible cliffs near the cascade here the poor animal lingered for seven days with no less than five bullets in its body till at length death came and it fell headlong down the precipice the climate of banff during the months of july and august is almost perfection the high altitude of four thousand five hundred feet above the sea level renders the nights invariably cool and pleasant while the midday heat rarely reaches eighty degrees in the shade there is but little rain during this period 
and in fact there are but two drawbacks mosquitoes and forest fire smoke the mosquitoes however are only troublesome in the deep woods or by the swampy tracks near the river the smoke from forest fires frequently becomes so thick as to obscure the mountains and veil them in a yellow pall through which the sun shines with a weird light an effect of the high northern latitude of this part of the rocky mountains is to make the summer days very long in june and early july the sun does not set till nine o'clock and the twilight is so bright that fine print can be read outdoors till eleven o'clock and in fact there is more or less light at midnight in june and september one never knows what to expect in the way of weather i shall give two examples which will set forth the possibilities of these months though one must not imagine that they illustrate the ordinary course of events in the summer of eighteen ninety five after having suffered from a long period of intensely hot weather in the east i arrived at banff on the fourteenth of june it was snowing and the station platform was covered to a depth of six inches the next day however i ascended tunnel mountain and found a most extraordinary combination of summer and winter effects the snow still remained ten or twelve inches deep on the mountain sides though it had already nearly disappeared in the valley under this wintry mantle were many varieties of beautiful flowers in full bloom and most conspicuous of all wild roses in profusion apparently uninjured by this unusually late snowstorm i made a sad discovery near the top of the mountain seeing a little bird fly up from the ground apparently out from the snow i examined more closely and observed a narrow snow tunnel leading down to the ground removing the snow i found a nest containing four or five young birds all dead their feeble spark of life chilled away by the damp snow while the mother bird had been even when i arrived vainly trying to nurse them back to life the storm was said to be very unusual for the time of year the poplar trees in full summer foliage suffered severely and were bent down to the ground in great arches from which position they did not fully recover all summer while the leaves were blighted by the frost as a general rule however mountain trees and herbs possess an unusual vitality and endure snow and frost or prolonged dry weather in a remarkable manner the various flowers which were buried for a week by this late storm appeared bright and vigorous after a few warm days had removed the snow toward the end of september eighteen ninety five there were two or three days of exceptionally cold weather the thermometer recording six degrees fahrenheit one morning i made an ascent of sulphur mountain a ridge arising about three thousand feet above the valley on the coldest day of that period the sun shone out of the sky of the clearest blue without a single cloud except a few scattered wisps of cirrus here and there the mountain summit is covered with a few straggling spruces which maintain a bare existence at this altitude the whole summit of the mountain the trees and rocks were covered by a thick mantle of snow dry and powdery by reason of the severe cold the chill of the previous night had condensed a beautiful frost over the surface of the snow everywhere shining scales of transparent ice thin as mica and some half inch across stood on edge at all possible angles and reflected the bright sunlight from thousands of brilliant surfaces 
this little glimpse of winter was even more pleasing than the view from the summit for the mountains near banff do not afford the mountain climber grand panoramas or striking scenery they tend to run in long regular ridges uncrowned by glaciers or extensive snowfields a never-failing source of amusement to the residents of banff as well as to those more experienced in mountain climbing is afforded by those lately arrived but ambitious tourists who look up at the mountains as though they were little hills and proceed forthwith to scale the very highest peak on the day of their arrival a few years ago some gentlemen became possessed of a desire to ascend cascade mountain and set off with the intention of returning the next day at noon instead of following the advice of those who knew the best route they would have it that a course over stony squaw mountain an intervening high ridge was far better they returned three days later after having wandered about in burnt timber so long that begrimed with charcoal they could not be recognized as white men it is not known whether they ever so much as reached the base of cascade mountain but it is certain that they retired to bed upon arriving at the hotel and remained there the greater part of the ensuing week cascade mountain however is a difficult mountain to ascend not because there are steep cliffs or rough places to overcome but because almost every one takes the wrong slope this leads to a lofty escarpment and just when the mountaineer hopes to find himself on the summit the real mountain appears beyond while a great gulf separates the two peaks and removes the possibility of making the ascent that day banff with its fine drives and beautiful scenery its luxurious hotels and delightful climate will ever enjoy popularity among tourists the river above the falls is wide and deep and flows with such gentle current as to render boating safe and delightful the vermilion lakes with their lovely reedy shores and swarming wildfowl offer charming places for the canoe and oarsman at least when the mosquitoes the great pest of our western plains and mountains temporarily disappear nevertheless the climate of banff partakes of the somewhat drier nature of the lesser and more eastern sub-ranges of the rocky mountains there is not sufficient moisture to nourish the rich forests vast snowfields and thundering glaciers of the higher ranges to the west which in imagination we shall visit in the ensuing chapters end of chapter one